0: What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results, and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make AMO work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah rah shish baz tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, AMO shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step through a unique, never-before-tested formula. The founder, Steve Piper is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery of not knowing who's reading your books, of losing 50 to 70% of the hard earned money you make through book sales. Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readerships. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. My guest on today's show is Debbie Russell, author of Crossing 51, not quite a memoir. And I am going to give very little context because most of the context you need is going to be in the first few minutes of the conversation. But I do want to clarify one element of our conversation. And I love being a podcast host because I learn a ton from my guests and clarify misconceptions when I have them. So this is another case where I had been under the impression that just like with major booksellers, All pre-orders counted toward your bestseller ranking on publication day. However, after discussing this a little bit in the episode with Debbie, I went and did my research. So fact check here, it is true that pre-orders through booksellers and traditional retailers can often increase your chance of fitting a bestseller list because those numbers count toward your first week's sales. And this is all from booksforward.com. By the way, if you want to sort the size, site, site, sort the size. Cite the source. Um, However, on Amazon, pre-orders are recorded the day of purchase rather than on release day. So any pre-orders you receive will not count toward your ranking on publication day. that's a big deal because there are a ton of self-published authors specifically who may work really hard to pre-sell their book and they don't even realize that it doesn't have a major impact on their rankings. It can obviously help with your Amazon rankings, but keep that in mind. Um, I have done what I call guerrilla publishing for a little while now where when a book is ready, I just adjust the publication date to fit whenever I want to publish. So you might notice if you've looked at my books on Amazon that I have a couple of pre-orders out there. It's my intention and my belief that I'll actually beat the publication date that I put there, but I gave myself a deadline and I'm not going to and never have planned to do a big hoorah around any kind of book release at this point because as a self-published author, there are already plenty of preconceived notions about who we are and what we do. Um, But I definitely don't need to try to act like a traditionally published author where I am uh, confined by rigid strictures and timeframes and all that kind of stuff. If I can get my books edited, covers designed, layout formatted, and all of the good stuff, then I am more than happy to release it as soon as it's ready. Not make you wait, not make you have to hold your breath for the next book. Um, I'm just going to continue to write and try to get as many books out there as I possibly can. And uh, I encourage you, if you're a self-published author, to do the same thing. Now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Debbie Russell. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with Enamo takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. So you are, um, and you don't even know this about yourself, or maybe you do in passing, but you are kind of the catalyst for a lot of the things that I'm doing right now. And, and I think that this is a testament to, uh, just being a kind human being who is aware of the world around them. Uh, because I jumped onto Twitter, uh, as myself i'd had a secret profile as the main character of my novel but as myself i was jumping onto twitter with this idea of trying to grow a following get my literary agent an extra boost so we could sell my book and you are the person who introduced me to general master and a group of other very at the time active twitter users who helped to boost my signal incredibly Um, and so people who've listened to the podcast for a while know that Twitter is uh, kind of the backbone on which I built this podcast. Uh, I sell tons of books through Twitter. I'm kind of a rarity in that Twitter works really well for me. Um, but none of that, and I mean this, none of that would not have happened, would have happened had you not introduced me to that group of people. It's just, it was um, great fortune. And I think on that frequently, and I I owe you a, a debt of gratitude. So it's, it's great fun to have you on the podcast now.
1: That's so cool. And I, cause I think we came to Twitter around the same time and I had no idea how to use it yeah. in any sort of professional sense. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I too have, I do have a stealth account that's 10 years old that I use for an entirely different purpose. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's, connections i've made you know a number of really cool connections that have helped me and i hope helped the other person offline in different areas and it it is it it gives me hope that the uh, that the social media world is not going to fell in a handbasket
0: yeah I think it's the opposite in some ways. I, I did hear for a long time, and I don't hear this conversation as much because now that Twitter does kind of zoom along for me, I'm not as involved as I was for a very long time in the building phase of it. Um I, I organically draw a lot of followers now because my account is large. There's all kinds of things going on. Um, but it used to be on a daily basis that I would hear from someone like Twitter is a toxic place. Uh It's just a bunch of hatred and rumors and lies. And I think that that place exists on Twitter, but it's almost the same kind of thing happening in real life. There are certain neighborhoods where you can live where there's a lot of toxic behavior going on. And there are certain neighborhoods where you can live where things are fairly wholesome. Uh, you can live in communities with shared interests. And I'm not even talking about cults. There's all of that going on as well, but there's, just, there's great thriving places to be involved in Twitter. And if you involve yourself there and ignore or navigate away from the bad stuff, really cool things can happen.
1: It is what you make it,
0: I believe. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, your book generally before we start talking about some of the marketing efforts that you have done. I haven't had too many memoirists on before. And your book is uh, a memoir that in many ways reminds me of my uh, maternal side of the family's sort of story. And uh, I connected with it really deeply because of that. Talk to me a little bit about why you felt this book needed to be in the world.
1: Well, it started with my grandfather's story, which, as you know, is half of the book. I go back Mm -hmm. and forth between um, current times and then late 1951 into 52, when my grandfather spent four months uh, voluntarily in a locked drug rehab facility run by the feds. Mm -hmm. And he, at the time, was a 51-year-old doctor kind of high society in San Diego. And he had become addicted to Demerol and morphine Mm. and Mm. barbiturates. I mean, it was was really quite astonishing. And I thought that story in and of itself could have been its own book. And I think if I were a better uh, writer, as far as Hmm. fiction and turning it into, I, I, I think it could just be an um, really amazing story. But yeah. then as my dad went into hospice and I found my own life kind of heading into uncharted waters, um, I started just keeping track of what was going on for me. And then after my dad died, after I left my old job as a county prosecutor, and I set out to look at what this book should be, I decided it needed to be both stories. And mm, yeah, it, that was a little ambitious at the time for one's first attempt at writing a book. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm really pleased with how it came out because through sort of researching my grandfather and his character traits, his personality, I, I was able to find my own, you know, my own identity. Mm. And especially in light of sort of some of the, um, Antagonism from my mother. I mean, she certainly played the role of antagonist. I'm the protagonist, she's the mm. antagonist. So mm. um that's in a nutshell kind of how it became these two stories um braided into one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's I I I never would have thought when when you said that maybe a a, a greater writer could have told the one story with fictional um. You know methods and, and models. I, I don't know that I agree with you there. I think that the story is perfect as is. Yes, I agree with you that uh, your grandfather's story is ripe for a novel, but it's a totally different thing. And I think that you lose some of the heart of it um, and maybe drive it more toward being a thriller, sort of a fast-paced intrigue. And there's nothing wrong with that. I write, I write that kind of fiction quite a bit. But I really, I love the heart behind this book, the, the self-exploration, the exploration of the family. One thing that I'm really currently in the middle of, so I don't know that I have formed opinions about it, but I feel like as a society right now, we're too far listing toward individuality and not enough toward corporate existence or like family units or friend groups um, that our identity is so deeply enmeshed in the group that we're in. And that's part of the self. You can't really pull it apart. I feel like we want to pretend that we can, but we are a product of our environment as well. Uh, Was that something that you were thinking about when you were writing?
1: Oh, I totally agree uh, with what you're saying. And I do think that the pandemic certainly Mm. exacerbated all of this Mm -hmm. in that people with families were stuck with their families. And I I say that a little tongue in cheek because- I believe there's likely more dysfunction in families than there is function. I mm. And I never realized that until I started really exploring what it meant to be in a dysfunctional family, because I didn't mm. view my family as dysfunctional, although mm. there were times that I thought, boy, we're different from yeah. other people's families. But you don't the thing is, you don't know what other people's families are like unless you sit down and have a conversation with somebody about their family right mm-hmm. and who gets together and wants to talk about their family usually like you said when we're getting together with friends or other people outside of our families we're not we're not really wanting to say oh you know this thing with my mom or oh mm-hmm. my gosh this thing with my brother or any of that's just not conversation that that people generally want to spend time with and so we all kind of become isolated in our ideas of family and what family Mm -hmm. is supposed to be versus what it actually is and i think with the pandemic with everybody sort of (laughs) they had nowhere to go to get away from their families and so everything got really really exacerbated right Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah and, and you're right. And there there's there's pros and cons to it. Um, because what you're saying is is that when you live inside of a dysfunctional family, some of your dysfunction has a much easier time running rampant uh and, and causing issues. I live, and I was just talking about this with some some newer friends of mine. I live in a town of 900, so like you, kind of, you're you're even more rural than I am, but um, it's it's a very small town north of Omaha, between uh, there and Sioux City. And I would say that for one, the most influential, powerful people in the town are my in-laws. Uh, One guy founded an auction company uh, and his son inherited that after a generation of building, making it really big auction farm equipment. So really expensive equipment that brings in a lot of money. And so he has like what can only be described as a compound on the top of the hill as you're driving into town. His house is enormous. Um, They've got a giant building with a basketball court in it and an upstairs entertainment. Like it's just pool tables, everything you think of. He has his own pool. He looks out over a lake. That his grandfather dug out, and it's it's amazing to be part of the family. I love it. I've I've talked about it on this podcast. I don't uh, I don't not uh, I'm aware of my my privilege and having that, but at the same time, we were joking at the lake yesterday, hanging out with some friends. I said. If anything ever were to go wrong with my wife, and thank God I can't see that happening, um, I would be in the world's worst mm-hmm. position because suddenly uh, my in-laws would basically be able to just blacklist me. I would have to move. I would have no access to my children. It could be a nightmare. It's really funny, the power of of people groups. So um, that doesn't necessarily play into your story as much, but exactly. it, I think highlights this idea of, of just the power of human group dynamics.
1: Well, and families of influence i mean let's just you know for a second think about if there were to be a scandal that was associated with yeah. with that family right because yeah. that's that's what we're kind of dealing with with my with my grandfather yeah. and the fact that he went to this facility for 4 months and nobody really knew about it. And Mm -hmm. then he got back and things just kind of picked up. And um, I've come to learn now, and I've gotten a whole trove of newspaper articles. That family, my dad's family, was the family that was written about in the society section of -hmm. the San Diego paper. And I now have all these articles. You know, it's the one where, you know, my dad, Ralph Russell just got back from his european trip and is re, you know residing mm-hmm. for the summer with his parents. I mean, that kind of stuff where i i was not aware of all those newspaper articles because i just didn't have access to them when i was writing mm-hmm. the book and mm-hmm. they've now become available to me in a whole different context and it now really reinforces the fact that this thing that happened with my grandfather was something that they just really didn't want to be broadcast. And in a couple yeah. of weeks, I'm going to San Diego and my aunt were, were doing a library presentation with all of her, all the people she grew up with and wow. all this. And And I'm so proud of her because she's had to transition from, I don't know if I want the world to know about this, hmm. to... I want the world to know about this. And I'm really proud of my father, my grandfather. Wow. And it's been, it's just been, yeah, it's been a really interesting development over the course of having this book in the world.
0: Yeah. Wow. So this is a good, at least starting point to kind of tease out a little bit of what you've been able to do through marketing. Um, I think that based on some of our email communications, you don't necessarily think that your book had a huge splash, uh, but if, if you're comfortable sharing, tell how many uh, pre-orders you had and how many copies you've sold so far, because it's actually really strong numbers and a lot of listeners will will be envious.
1: Well, and I think that's, I appreciate you saying that, Jody, because, you know, one of the hardest parts I'm finding with this whole journey is how do we define success? Right. Mm, yep. And so, right. I mean, and, and as somebody who's just a newbie and has no idea, you know, I don't, I don't know these things. So yeah. um, I do not have my July numbers at this point. I have, so my book came out June 20th. Mm-hmm. Uh, In May, I sold 86 books, Um, evenly, almost evenly distributed. I think it was 48 soft covers, 38 hard covers. And then in June, I sold 266 books. And so my total at the end of June is 352 books. I don't, I still don't have any ebook numbers. And Right, and and we can talk about that in a second because that whole mm-hmm. promotion was kind of a mess. Yeah, but um, I've had enough people say that's awesome, so I'm going to accept that that's awesome, right? I didn't, Absolutely. but of course, I've looked at Amazon, and I wanted so desperately to be a number one bestseller in mm-hmm. one of my categories, and that has not happened. Yeah. Um, I was a number one new release for a minute, and I guess that's fine.
0: That's amazing. So,
1: you know, it's just interesting how we define success, right?
0: Yes, very much. It's a question I ask a lot uh, going back to Twitter a little bit. I used to ask that question intentionally every, honestly, every week for a while, I would sneak in a tweet about, about success because I am fascinated with, uh, the question of success. And I think sometimes this is just my observations over however long, I think sometimes when you're on the perceived bottom of success, then you, and I'm not saying you, I'm not talking about the the Royal you or the corporate you right now, you have this tendency to, um, Say that success is not, uh, the number of books you sell or it's not the number of people you reach or the, the amount of dollars you make from said thing. It's the feeling you have inside. And I'm not diminishing that as being a part of success, but I've, I've rarely seen somebody on the top side of success not incorporate some of the physical rewards of that success. That being said, uh, if you are a drug addicted person, who is in a very successful family and has had a successful career and you put yourself into drug treatment and you beat the drugs addiction and you get to get back to normal life and you have a, a, an, a an apparent step back in your life in certain ways, you're successful because you beat a demon that could have killed you. Um, and, and so, that's for me where the nuance is, is that People looking in cannot tell you what success is, but when you look out, it's a lot easier to talk about success when you're on the top of your success mountain. Does that mesh with your experience at all, or where am I missing it?
1: No, absolutely. And I think, you know, through the past couple months, as the book has gone out and been in the hands of other readers, um, the, the individual messages that I have been getting from people... Um, And then sort of the, there's a theme that's running through the reviews, um, at least the ones on Amazon, Mm -hmm. um, where, where people are, are finding that my book is relatable. And, Hmm. and you were one of them who wrote about, you know, being able to reflect on your own family. And you're not the only one, there's a whole bunch in there. And, and so I started to think about, because I think memoir, the danger with memoir is I'm just going to write this thing about what happened to me. And then you, the reader will read it and, and either be interested to an extent might get bored after a while, because there's just nothing that's drawing you the reader in you're it's like you're sitting looking through a window at something happening. And so I, I am grateful that, that this unique, story that I put together is something that is resonating with people who have have had different experiences, some far more extreme than what I wrote about. Um, but yet they just they they relate to it. And so when I think about success, I, I am <laughs> I've tried to get away from the you know the, the way Amazon wants us to think about success. Mm-hmm. And and just drill into the connecting with readers and, and then allowing readers to connect with each other and to have these conversations and, you know, to do more writing around that. And Mm. every time I get a new subscriber to my newsletter, that's, that's a piece of success. And, and I will say, as I'm gradually getting outside of my own personal network, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where, I get a new subscriber in my newsletter and I think, well, I don't know. I don't know who that is. Yes. Yes. So I I will say this. I, as soon as I can get a review on Amazon, that is from someone that I do not know at all. And I thought I had gotten one. The last one I got, I was like, "Hmm, I don't recognize this person. I don't know anything about, you know, and then I Mm -hmm. come to find out, Oh, it was the husband of somebody else who, you Uh, know, so I'm Mm -hmm. like, Oh, so right? It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's getting that, expanding that sphere to the next level out.
0: Absolutely. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It's something I haven't talked about enough on this podcast um, because there is one, there is one tier where you're able to, and I I don't love the words, but mobilize uh, your family, friends, and friends of family type of Network People that, where you recognize their names, you know who they are. Um, that's all fine and great. And, and a lot of people actually can't even do that. They're too scared to ask a friend to buy their book. And so um, I think a lot of people get caught with maybe five reviews or less on Amazon because they're afraid to ask their immediate uh, friends and family. But what you're talking about is then getting out of the atmosphere of, of your planetary connections and actually getting into space, because that's where people who don't know Debbie at all are going to start to evaluate your book. And they don't have any loyalty to be kind to you. So their kindness, if it is kindness, uh, is earned in a way that, that kind of buoys you and their cruelty hurts because it's so raw. It's so honest. Um, it's, it's really tough, but where you're at of, of finding strangers, sure. that's when you can really make a massive impact.
1: Right. Right. Exactly.
0: Do you have more to add to that? Cause I mean, that's, that's where you're at right now. You are, you're in this place of, of trying to, to find strangers. Are there specific things that you're doing outside of the work with your, your publisher?
1: Um, uh, well, I can tell you a little bit about, the marketing course that i took yeah and how the results were not what i mm. had hoped for um well but but it was interesting and i would just be i i would love to sort of dissect this with you yes uh to get your thoughts on it because again when you're starting out with this you and the My biggest strength that I will just put right out there is my curiosity. And so mm-hmm. when I made the decision that I'm going to publish this book and I'm going to try to to have some reach with it as opposed to i'm just going to write this for my family right mm-hmm. you know you mm-hmm. you 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 make that decision early on yes. then it's sort of like okay so i need to learn about marketing i need to learn about you know maybe getting an agent finding a publisher all those things yeah and so i early on really started researching the marketing side of it and and i have a bunch of cooks and i Uh, you know, and I asked other authors. And so one author that I um, have gotten to be very good friends with, um, she recommended, uh, his name is Tim Grahl, G-R-A-H-L. And he has a program, you know, wait for it, launch a bestseller.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And um, are you familiar with this? It's one one I don't know.
0: I know a ton, but I don't know that one. I probably should, but I don't. All right,
1: we'll see. Isn't that interesting, right? Yeah. So, I had so I had started, he's got a website and mm-hmm. you can sign up and you get his newsletter. I mean, that's the whole thing we all do, right? You get yeah. the newsletter and then you start He will do webinars, he does free stuff and, you know, after a while with the free stuff, he, you know, starts promoting the stuff you have to pay for. Yeah. So, I had done a webinar, I think it was last summer um and and he and the interesting thing about marketing and publicity campaigns and this is the part i don't i still don't understand but i guess if you can find the people who will pay for it but but the average it seems for a publicity slash marketing campaign is three to five thousand dollars a month Mm -hmm, mm for a minimum of three months like you can't you can't hire somebody to just do no. a few things. You have to commit to a three-month campaign.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: At this, to me, just a really exorbitant rate. And yeah. so, one of the things that Tim Grahl offers is the DIY marketing program.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. And I
1: thought, you know what? I have the time, and I have the the you know the giddy mm-hmm. up, and so I'm going to do this and so what what was really good about it and and you see these you see these common threads through all marketing where they say a year to 9 months before your book comes out is when you start right mm-hmm. and so for me the big difference between me and people who self publish is if you're self publishing you have all the control over when your book is going to come out and so then you can just kind of organize everything to be in line with that launch date. And you can change your launch date, you know, if things are not going the way you want or they are and you want to. Yep. And so I with with going with my publisher, I was given my launch date of June 20th. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, six to nine months in advance, um, you're identifying your influencers, you your Getting You're trying to get your book into into early readers. You can get ARCs, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, ARC reviewers, and you're looking for influencers and you're creating a media kit. So there were all these things, and I dutifully did each and every one of them. And he does nice modules as far as what an influencer looks like and what you want to try to do and how to pitch them and all that kind of stuff. And... Um, and I had started a newsletter back in, oh, I want to say it was early, early 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, March of 2022 is when I started my newsletter. And so again, I, I kind of did all of this. I did my outreach. I I worked on my website. I got got all this stuff. And then he he has a very intensive pre order campaign. And I think in hindsight, I think this is geared more to people who write nonfiction, how to books, mm-hmm. people who have something to offer besides a good story. Yep. I just don't know. Right. I just don't know. I think, and I look at my book more along the lines of fiction than your, you know, your business book yeah. or your how to book or whatever. Yeah. Because finding the readers, that is the key, right? It's who are your readers. Yes. And of course, you know, memoir readers are my readers, but I've now had people like you, for instance. You don't, I don't think you seek out memoir, right? But you no, like I've read it. I've
0: read a bunch of it. And but so, yeah, I don't it's not my first choice.
1: Right. Right. So I do look at that as such a critical piece of this. But so so he has you set up in your newsletter. And I I suspect because you are a subscriber of mine that you were the victim. <laughs> call it I call it a victim because I am I'm a person who really has struggled with the the frequency of newsletters and how often to do yeah. them and are they getting read or what's happening.
0: Yeah.
1: But he His whole premise is that you offer a gift to people who pre-order your book, right? It's the incentive to get them to pre-order your book. Yep. And so I put all this time and effort into creating a workbook called What's Your Story? And it's, it's, it's designed, it's got 12 pages, 12 questions, one for each month of the year. And it's just for people to either do themselves as a journal take to their parents to ask their parents work do with friends i mean it's just it's a way to get people to think about who they are and what's important to them and and all that because i've decided that my whole premise theory reason for this book reason for promoting this book is that we are stronger when we share our stories as opposed to when we keep them hidden because of shame or any other mm-hmm. reason that we don't want to share our stories. Yeah. And so I start this, I, you know, and I followed it right down to the letter and what I learned, and I wish I would have learned this sooner. um, I had thought that when my book launched on June 20th, all those pre-orders would count on that day. Yes, and so when you think about it, I had three hundred. I had three hundred pre-orders,
0: right? Yep. And
1: can you imagine if they all counted on that day?
0: Yeah, so they, I they count. I would have. They count for the week of um in in the uh like Nielsen scan book scan uh and for for bestseller lists like the New York Times bestseller list the defunct um no longer existing USA Today bestseller list they, they USA count for today yes right. it's gone but it used to be I mean I still I still have friends in fact a, a guy that I know quite well has uh, made the list and still advertises it because a lot of regular readers don't know it doesn't exist anymore um it counts. For all of the the book scan lists, but where you're talking about is it doesn't count on Amazon unless it was sold through Amazon. And in, in probably so many cases, your book went through your publisher is my guess.
1: No, no, that's no, the thing, you know, okay. that I need to be clear about. No, um, okay. my, my, pub, my publisher doesn't do any of that. And that was, that was something I knew going in. Mm-hmm. So, what I've viewed myself, you know, we we talk about hybrid publishers, mm-hmm. and hybrid is how I have viewed myself because I have tried to learn as much as I could about self publishing mm-hmm. because I wanted to do all the things that I felt like I needed to do for self publishing, mm-hmm. and just kind of knowing that it's not like my publisher is going to order a print run of. X number of books and ship them all out to all different places. That does yeah. not happen. Yeah. And uh, additionally, huge point, when I first launched, I was under the impression, because I had been told, that my publisher was not allowing returns. And so my ideas for going into bookstores and all of that, it was going to be a consignment basis. It felt mm-hmm. like a lot of work, and I just was kind of, I was focused on Amazon, and again, what I learned was that the pre-orders, they count the day that they are ordered. So hmm. so that's where I would hit those number one new release categories before my, my book was even out. Because on a certain day, maybe five people all ordered the book For and sure. that just catapulted me to number one on that day. But when I think back now, I would have much rather had those after the book was out. So
0: I need I need to dive in to the uh, fine print on Amazon because as far as I understand, Amazon actually has fine print in their their KDP publishing resources that says that every book that sells pre-order counts uh the day the book goes live. You don't even get any um money for those sales until your book is live and the books start being distributed. So I, I want to check into that. Um one well Let's, I'll put a pin in it if I remember to talk about the the hardcover sales because there is something strange that happens there. But okay, so we're just going to do a quick check to see where this happens because I, I think that there's nuance to this, but I do believe you're also right that it's harder to track sales to a specific day um, for that whole street team and launch date and people saying you're going to hit the bestseller lists.
1: Right, right. Right. And, and again, I think just a you know, and I just did a Google search around this. And then mm. sadly, after the fact, I was told or I learned that as a debut author with a standalone book, mm. it, it's pre-orders are not necessarily the way to go. If you right. are, a, you know, if you write for a series, um, then you've got a lot of that that works in your favor that way. So yes. again, I feel like after all was said and done and then not and then again, here's the thing where not being a KDP author myself um we were trying to get my my Kindle book reduced to 99 cents on my day of launch.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. It didn't happen. Okay. And that wow. was a
1: huge and that was I had no control over that, right? So I yeah. kept bugging the publisher and they kept saying it's ingram ingram's doing this or amazon's doing this or you know Mm -hmm. it was something where and this is the hard part when you're trying to work with a publisher because that's a that is a hurdle or a wall yes you know that you can't get through to take care of yourself like like i think for self-published authors there's a number to call there's a there's an email there's a Mm -hmm. contact something where you can directly impact what's happening i yeah. could not do that except to continue to pester my publisher and and again i had sent a my newsletter on the day of launch said hey it's 99 cents
0: except it wasn't Oh no and
1: and oh, oh my god it was just and then and then all the people that were pre-ordering were getting a message that said the shipment of your book is is being delayed. Do you want to continue? And I thought, oh, no. what on earth is actually happening? Oh, yeah, yep. Jody. I had, and so when we talk about defining success, like I remember <laughs> that day just bravely posting my post, like, happy book day to me, blah blah blah. And people are like, You must be so excited. And I'm like, This is the worst day of <laughs> my
0: life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
1: seriously, it was the whole behind behind the scenes of all of that stuff was all I could think about and it, yes. it's a sad state of my of my mental health that that's what I focused on as opposed to hmm. your book is in the world you know I mean nope nope that did no. not happen for yeah. me that day
0: nope yeah. So, um, I and I want to I want to talk about all of this as a whole. But you mentioned early on that there was m- maybe more to the ebook aspect as well. Was it just that ninety nine cent piece, or were there other things going on with the the ebook that also sort of sabotage your, uh, your numbers? Um,
1: you know, I, again, because I haven't seen the numbers, hmm. I ha- I have no idea how many ebooks I've sold. Right? Yeah. I was I met some former colleagues last week for lunch and the ones that had bought a book brought it for me to sign. Right. And then Mm -hmm. one of my, one of my former colleagues, he's like, well, I've, I'm, I've got, uh, he says I have a half hour left on the Kindle. So I know that he ordered a Kindle. Right. So I, I, what I'm told again, this is a website or a portal that is, um, set up by my publisher. And so again, I am, I am waiting for them to somehow input those numbers for me to get any sort of sense of what my sales are for that. I just, I just don't know. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm, I, I'll be happy to get those numbers to you when I actually can see them, but it's an interesting, it's just an interesting, you know, lack of, what do we call that? That's just a, a hole where I don't, I don't have any information about that. And, you know, fortunately, or unfortunately, I have a wonderful network of people who I believe bought my books simply to support me, right? And that's where I'm circling back to this. Now it's time to try to get to the next, what did you say? You go from the atmosphere out to space,
0: Yeah, Um,
1: you know? right that's yeah. my next challenge
0: yeah absolutely so what i want to then talk about i want to talk about your publisher um and i'm going to put on my listening ears in a major way and i may ask some questions for clarification uh if there becomes a point where you don't want to talk about it or you feel that it would be harmful to your relationship with your publisher. I will cut anything from this conversation that doesn't feel like uh, it represents you in the perfectly best way. Um, so let's go forward as as boldly as possible and, and make cuts later if necessary. Does that sound okay?
1: That sounds perfect.
0: Alrighty. So you've talked about hybrid publishing and there is a nefarious and I think kind of shady segment of the publishing world right now where they realized that being called vanity presses uh, was not beneficial to their marketing plan. And so at least half, if not more of of presses that were formerly called vanity now call themselves hybrid. So every time I hear the word, I start listening for signs that you're with a true hybrid versus uh, a a vanity. Um, So tell me a little bit about the structure of your deal with your publisher. Uh, Start off with what percentage of manuscripts that were sent to them get rejected for quality control?
1: what I was told you've asked at how what percentage have been rejected so mm-hmm. I I believe it's somewhere around 70 percent okay at least that's what I was told
0: okay. um,
1: that they will they will uh take on I think it was 30 thirty to forty percent is what they said. so I guess 70, okay. 60 to seventy percent is rejected then.
0: Okay. And then once once they offer you a contract to take your book on, uh, does part of the contract language require you to pay any money up front for any services? Yes. Okay. So there's a couple of things that I want to say from here. One is that is the definition of a vanity press. If, if you don't have an option to come on free, then it's vanity. Um, there are some publishers out there who have two tiers and they'll let you know. They'll say your book falls into the tier where you need to pay for our publishing package and these are the services we'll offer you for doing that. Or they'll say your book uh, qualifies to be under our main imprint and we're going to cover all the costs of these things But just understand we won't do any marketing for you that's the traditional setup of a hybrid publisher if their only offer for you is you have to pay then they're what was formerly called a vanity press and the reason i highlight this is not to diminish the position you're in because uh, i think that vanity presses are are poo-pooed on far too much uh, there's some things that they do amazingly, but you highlighted one of the key things that they need to adapt to if they're going to continue to exist. And that's that they have to give you 100% transparency between the numbers and you so that you can adjust like somebody who's self-published, but with the benefits of an imprint, because that's a, you can't overstate the value of having an imprint that is not your own name, uh, You just lose a lot of opportunities. So talk to me a little bit about what you're hearing, because I'm always afraid if I have this conversation with somebody that they're going to feel angry at me or defensive. And also, like I said, I want my listening ears on. Have I misconstrued your situation at all? Because maybe, maybe I missed the detail.
1: Well, I think so. Here's what I would say. They, they do offer traditional publishing to an author who is established and Actually, in my case, if I am able to sell 2,000 books, they will take me on for my next book with a traditional contract.
0: That's hybrid. Okay.
1: So, right. So, and and again, you know, going through hybrid versus vanity, I don't, to me, um, the Independent Book Publishers Association is a great resource in terms of trying to suss out vanity from hybrid.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: Um, because, and and Kohler, my publisher, is a member in good standing and an active member at that of IPBA um, or IBPA, mm-hmm. Independent Book Publishing yeah, Association. Yeah. Um And I'm going to back up for a second, simply because as I started down the road of, of publishing, I, I initially wanted to find an agent and Mm -hmm. go traditional and very quickly realized that, you know, I'm a nobody and right now with what agents are looking for with such a unique story or something that's so incredibly different, especially in the memoir genre. I was just never going to, there was just no chance or, you know, I could keep, keep querying for, I don't know, three years. And then it was sort of the timing of things too. It was like, I don't want to spend the next five years waiting for my book to come out. And so I started to look at books and then I realized that I was, I was actually buying books off of Amazon Mm -hmm. from presses and then i would look to see oh and and there's a there's a hybrid press called she writes press and it's um it highlights women authors mm. and it was one that i had considered as well um and again they vet they vet the submissions and i think that's a huge difference between vanity and hybrid is mm-hmm. is vetting vetting the submissions because, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of not great writing out there. Yes. And, and again, you can find someone somewhere who will publish your book for the right amount, or you can, you know, self publish. But, mm-hmm. but I think that's an important distinction again, between vanity and hybrid. And I, I was able to reach out to some authors from both of these publishers just so you know and mm-hmm. just find out what they liked what they didn't like yeah. what they thought was helpful if they had regrets and and again that's the important stuff like just reach out to people who if you're considering a certain publisher reach out and and just yes. you know people are are willing i think to share their stories um people want to be helpful as i'm wanting to be Um, in this conversation with you. And so um, I actually submitted to them and then withdrew my submission because I just, I decided, well, the price point was interesting um, because the price point with Kohler is to me what I would expect to pay for a really, really good cover. And I'll tell you what, this cover for my book, as well as the layout is a dream come true. I don't yeah. know that I ever could have conveyed to anyone what I wanted and have it, you know what I mean? It
0: just, absolutely.
1: And, and so again, and, and when people, and you know, you know, this as well as I do, we see these folks on social media trying to figure out where to go for a cover and how to do it and, or they're doing their own or whatever. Yeah. And, and again, I just think that with that, and then with getting certainly a copy edit done, um, as well as I received twenty soft cover arcs, I received ten hardcover arcs. When I look at all of what I got for for what I paid, I feel like it was it was appropriate. I mean, and you talk about transparency; the contract is really transparent as far as what I am getting for the um, for the money that I'm paying and, you know, what my royalties are. Um, it's just all really, really clear. And, um, you know, I'm getting 60% royalties on hardcover, softcover, well on everything. Um, you know, but it's off the wholesale price, of course. Hmm. Um, and so I felt comfortable, you know, I felt really comfortable. Yeah. Um, and, and I got a fair amount of collaboration with it that you don't get with traditional publishing. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I think about, you know, when you submit to an agent who then asks you to revise and resubmit, and then your concept just gets whittled away and whittled away and whittled. And then the mm-hmm. editor at the publisher says, well, this is good, but, you know, I see it going in this direction. Yeah. <laughs> By the end of the day, is it really the product that you wrote in the first place you know Mm -hmm. this in my case i feel like i did an extensive revision between the time that they accepted me and the time that they asked for the manuscript where i cut about 25 pages mostly of my grandfather's letters and because the biggest Mm. critique of the manuscript back then was that the letters tended to get redundant and drag the whole story down and so I just, you know, and again, as far as the cover, I had input as far as what I what I liked or what I was thinking of, what my aesthetic was around it all. They have you do an extensive author questionnaire mm-hmm. Um which you've got to talk about how are you going to promote this and what do you see for the cover and what's Mm -hmm. your bio? And, you know, I had to put a lot of work into it as though I were self-publishing, but Mm -hmm. I don't mind that. I mean, that jacket copy, that's my jacket copy. Um, Mm -hmm. They, they tweaked it here and there, but my bio is my bio. Um, And again, I feel like I'm good at some of this stuff. And so maybe somebody who's not quite as skilled, their product might not be as nice or they might have paid more for this extra help i think yeah. with these contracts at least my understanding is they are unique to each author so mm-hmm. if they i was told from the get go my manuscript was strong and clean but that's because i had worked with a developmental editor from the from the jump and so mm-hmm. the thing i was presenting was in pretty good shape um but i think for others who might need more editing or more support they might be charged more i i don't know i just oh, yeah. it's not a what i was told is it's it's not a one size fits all right. so again i felt like that was fair right
0: Okay, so a couple of things, and I'm really I'm really grateful because it's clear to me two things. One, uh, I did touch on a nerve, and so I want to apologize. I think that that's always the case if I have—sorry, <clears throat> I'm coughing. Um, I think it's always the case that if I discuss the, the the question of the publisher, I will touch on a nerve. But it's also clear to me that uh, your level of thinking this through was where I would expect for a prosecutor's level of thinking something to to be at. Um, and I really I appreciate that. And I think that it helps to highlight for the listeners what's happening when you make your decisions. So first off, I would like to say that I would have gone with a straight up vanity publisher for my books uh, under a number of different circumstances and have absolutely no heartburn about it. Um, yours is absolutely a hybrid publisher. They're further toward what I think is vanity in that um, their, their acceptance numbers are higher than than the traditional publishers will be even small indie presses that don't offer any kind of pay to, to publish uh, opportunity. But there's so many things that they're doing for you that are really fantastic that are services added And the conversation that seems to come back over and over and over on this podcast is the level of work that you want to do on the marketing sales side of the book, the design, uh, the layout, all of those functions versus the the level of independence that you want to have uh, to make everything your way and take all of the responsibility for every single movement in self-publishing and Still to this day for me, one of my favorite guests, I mention her all the time. I hope I've sold some books just by word of mouth for her. But uh Libby Hawker, Libby Grant, she has a couple of pseudonyms. Uh, She she said to me, and this isn't exactly my format, but she said, all I do is I wake up in the morning. I write for five hours and I live on the beach. So I go outside, I sit on the beach with a book, I smoke pot and I read for the rest of the day. And, I, you know, sub out the pot for something else, maybe a, a delicious beverage, but essentially she's living the life of a writer. And I would say that you and I both are, yeah. are hybrid writers. I mean, we're trying to market our own work. And I will admit that right now in my life, there's a huge imbalance. I market far more than I write.
1: Mm-hmm. Right,
0: yeah. So
1: I, I'm still, you know, I'm committed to writing my little blog uh, Mm -hmm. post, which I very much appreciate you getting me over to Substack. And I believe I'm gonna, in, in September, move my whole newsletter over to Substack. And then looking at possibly adding a level of paid (laughs) subscriptions. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's super, that's a big step because I, and again, it's that whole, I'm not, my writing's not worth anything. Well, you know what it is. It actually is. And I have people that, like they wait for my newsletter to come out. They love every single thing I write. And yep. so it's like, well, if you can pay $5 a month for this, I will give you more content. And then the other people just get the monthly thing that I've been doing now for, for over a year. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, and, and again, I sort of like you, I don't need the money from the book and mm-hmm. and i'm never going to make back what i put into it i've kind of looked at this as no you you it's will you will don't say that business, no, right? you will because,
0: yeah you will make your money well, back it, i believe it, that about you i
1: think it's what's interesting though is you know my brand is lawyer turned writer right and yeah. so i i just did a radio show last week um where uh the interviewer asked me she's like So are you still prosecuting? Are you still doing this or that? Mm -hmm. And I said, no. And in fact, I think this is the year I'm going to let my law license go. And that's going to be a big deal for me where I've really made the transition. But I'm fortunate in that I don't, you know, I don't have money to burn because I do want to just touch back up on this vanity hybrid publishing stuff because I do believe there is a big swath of writers out there that are my age or older who have always had the dream to write a book, right? And when you, you know, you talk, you use the word vanity publishing and I'm, I, I, you didn't really hit a nerve. So I I just want you to be aware of that. I, I didn't, I, I really appreciated this conversation because, uh, you know, it, I I want to be able to explain all the thought that I put into trying to decide where I wanted to go, because I did have an offer. I had an offer from a teeny tiny press, small press, but there's that's a whole other conversation because teeny tiny, small traditional presses are fragile. They're very fragile. Yes, And one person leaving or quitting and your book is, you know, not Mm -hmm. going anywhere. I mean, it, it was a weird, that was a whole other, you know, we could talk about that some other time, but I made that decision. I made a decision that I was, because I had said, Oh, I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to pay to have my book published. Right. And after having my interactions with this publisher who just, it got, it got weird. It got very, very weird. And And they've put out books and I have one of the books and they're very nice books, but I don't know what was going on in that. Right. And so, but getting back to this, there is, there is, there's a, there's a lot of retirees with a lot of money to spend and they're the ones that will not drop, drop an eye at, um, spending money on a publisher, spending money on a publicist, spending money on marketing. I mean, that there that's, and that's it, for them, I'd say, you know, if, if that's your dream to get your book out and mm-hmm. you find the the way to do it and you have the money to spend on it, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. You know? Right. you know, I don't have that kind of money. So that was another, yeah. um, reason that I chose Polar, because their price point to me, I wasn't going to be spending much more on that than if I mm-hmm. had tried to hire out all these, right. like you just said, That's all right. the, right. all the parts to putting a book together.
0: It is, it's unreal what goes into self-publishing. I spend at least half of the time on this podcast that feels like dedicated to talking to authors who self-publish saying the the worst disservice you can do to yourself is to hit publish without having paid for an editor, uh, paid for some kind of layout format. I've, I've slowly come around on cover design to where I do think that there's more room for self-cover design uh, with some of the tools that we have now. However, I still, like you said, I think three to $5,000 dollars for publishing a book is is only reasonable. Um, I take objection to your idea that you'll never earn back on your book because I think that you will. Um, And before I forget this, I just want to go back and plant something in your mind for your curiosity to chew on a little bit. Uh, I would encourage you to self-publish your newsletter, uh, take your favorite 10 to 15 newsletters uh, and put them inside of a book Uh, Called essays. Um, You 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 figure out the title, self-publish it quietly to Amazon, um, and then go to a place called Book Funnel. My listeners probably know it pretty well because I use it as well. Um, If you're not, if you are using Book Funnel, great. But then use that because you were talking earlier about like a a lead magnet. This is the best lead magnet you have. You've already done all the work for it, other than putting together a cover uh, and compiling them, Um, and then so put that together as a book, and then find author swaps on book funnel. It'll, I think it costs a, it's, I can't remember the, the cost. It's very, very cheap to have a mid tier, uh, membership to book funnel. And I bring in on average right now, about 300 emails a month from author swaps that I do for my books. Uh, and, it's a really great way to build your list, and then you pour all of those uh, those emails that you gather right back into your Substack, and you just keep writing your newsletter. People are right. getting exactly what they signed up right. for. You will build your list really quickly, and I know you already have a pretty impressive list, but it's something I think you should look into. It's not very expensive, and it's one of the most powerful marketing tools uh, that I have that costs me virtually nothing.
1: I have to just say something about Book Funnel because this yeah. is just so funny. And this is sort of like one of the other little, I don't want to call it a fight. That's not the right word, but mm-hmm. little challenge that I had with the publisher because when I got my digital ARC, and I want to put that in quotes, it was a PDF, right? Yeah. And so most of my ARC readers had no problem. With that, but I mm-hmm. had a couple that they're like, We want the what is it called? The eMobi, Mobi? yeah, eMobi
0: or ePub, yep,
1: ePub file, right? Yep. So I go back to the publisher and I say, Hey, can I get that? No, no, because this is proprietary and this and that, and right. blah blah blah. So I because, and that's what you use, I believe, to get it through Book Funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, you a PDF is just not that doesn't work that way, so right. But I will say this. So, so I belong to um, a Facebook group called We Love Memoirs, and it's based out of Australia. So, mm-hmm. I mean, these are people that are not here in the US. Yeah. And they do, but they do promotions and they do giveaways and all this stuff. But in order to do a giveaway, mm-hmm. you've got to have that EPUB file. Yeah. So I went back to my publisher just last week and I said, look, you know, this is a huge swath of people. I mean, there's 7,000 members in this group, but we're not allowed to self-promote. We're only allowed to, you know, participate in the things that the group sets up and all of this, but you do giveaways and you can be on, I have an author day reserved in September. Mm -hmm. They finally gave me my my EPUB file. So I was like, well, and so to hear you say this, because I remember at the time, Um, somebody had said, oh yeah, set it up through book funnel. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I can't, I don't have the, but wow, Jody, that's a great, that is a great idea. And it's not as much work as, you know, at first I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, no, that's not that much work. What I love about you, Jody, is just (laughs) you, you're like, you can do this. It's not a big deal. I, because of my overthinking, I am immediately like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And then I, then I have to get myself sort of shored up to like, yes, you can look at all these other things you've done. Yeah. Just, but you don't know, you've got to be in a good headspace to, to, and, and there's been so much that I've been doing that it's, I feel like I'm just treading water some days just to keep up with everything, which is not a bad thing. But again, I, the winter's coming and I'm actually looking forward to winter because there's not so much I have to do outside and all my other, you know, keeping up the estate and everything else because I appreciate this. And it's like, yeah, this is how I will find my readers because it's the people that, because I'll get a little note or two after every newsletter. Oh, I really like this. Or, mm-hmm. oh, I this just made my day to get your, and I'm like, wow, that's great, you know? Yeah. And I just need to, there's more of those people, right? How many people live in the world? Like, how many mm-hmm. billions of people, right? And it's just a matter of, of getting those folks who really live for my, for what I. I write because it's kind of niche and it's just, it's sort of what I think about, but I'm going to be transitioning into more lawyerly stuff because my next book is going to be about one of my biggest cases that I prosecuted. So uh, that's right. going to open a whole. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People like you're going to be like, give me it. gimme Yeah, it. Give me exactly.
0: I was going to say, do you, do you expect yourself then to uh, try to do a little bit more fictionalizing with that? Or are you going to stick to closer to memoir?
1: I gotta say, man, I, <laughs> sexualizing feels so hard. And I think yeah. it's just because I am this straightforward person. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know how to couch the truth in any for better or for worse. Right. So yeah. what I'm going to be doing though, with this one is I will be running it by an actual libel lawyer because it, you know, there's going to be, you know, in this I'm Minneapolis, St. Paul, and people are going to know who I'm talking about. The real names are going to be out there. Um, but but the good news is that it was highly publicized. Mm-hmm. I have the whole case file, which has the trial transcript. So all of this is like public and all it is, is going to be me sort of, you know, talking about it. Like here's yeah. my opinion of this thing that's right there. And And so what I've learned with memoir is opinions are not, you know, they're not, it's not def- and i'm not going to defame anybody but i'm just mm-hmm. going to have enough in there that is going to be my my perception of of the case of the you know the two tiers of justice when you have mm-hmm. money versus the people that don't and this is all stuff that's not anything that's you know novel it's just that it's going to be me and what happened to me and my yeah. case so yeah um i'm excited i'm excited about it
0: yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to, to, uh, read the book when it's written and comes out. I I do really enjoy that. Uh, a couple of people I'm thinking about that if you haven't dug into them, I think that you'd like them um, is Joanne Beard. I think you would really enjoy the essays uh, and nonfiction of Joanne Beard. She's somebody who's crossed over just a little bit to write some fiction, um, but she wrote a book called The Boys of My Youth. I just mentioned it in a conversation I had with somebody uh, recently And I also mentioned this, but I went to see her give a reading at the University of Nebraska in Omaha. She was a a guest uh, lecturer and then uh, a reader for a short period of time. and during the q and am I don't pipe up in those situations very often because I have a bit of social anxiety, especially when I'm not in the spotlight. I don't know what happens when I'm in the spotlight, but I I lose a little bit of that social anxiety. But a crowd member, I feel like everybody turns to look at me and the question better be amazing. And I was really fortunate that her answer was amazing because I said, hey, as a memoirist, um, how, we, like, where's the line for you about telling uh fact and uh, using a piece of fiction to get at truth. Uh, and her response to me was, I do I do that all the time. I, I fictionalize things all the time. And she said, I don't bend the the events so much as I bend the setting of the events. And she, she talked about this red velvet chair, this red upholstered velvet chair in a scene in one of her essays. And I, I'm not gonna give any specifics because I'd love for people to read all of her work and find that chair and then relate to this moment. But she said, the scene is so understated that i needed to put something in there that popped really loud almost like a bright flashing red light and she said so a red upholstered velvet chair did the trick and she said it just it changed the perception of how the rest of that essay read because she highlighted that moment the person sitting in that chair and suddenly something that was uh factual uh became more truthful because the 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 reader's eyes or the the mental Uh, focus shifted to that place. So that's where I think um, I'm sure that we all misrepresent our memories unintentionally, but I love the idea of intentionally doing so to get at a deeper something.
1: Right. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I I'm going to look into that. That's, she sounds fascinating.
0: She is. She's a a wonderful writer too. She has an essay that uh, she talks about the, the dying of her dog. And they play this game called Maserati, where it just sits kind of next to her, uh, kind of in her lap. And she grabs its snout and shifts through the gears of, of a Maserati. Uh, there's there's so many. Aww. I know. Yeah. And, and it's a, a great uh, homage to a dog that she loved. She's she's a great writer. Um all right let's see so I guess the last thing I want to talk about is and this can be a little bit more brief because we are kind of wrapping up naturally now when it comes to some of the restrictions you have for marketing um, one thing you said you're doing is library readings how much are you trying to get out how far do you want to go and what's what's your experience there to be in public
1: well, Again, I've just started with it and I've really enjoyed your podcast uh, interview with Eric Simmons.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Eric's, Go Eric, Eric Otis. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. And so, uh, again, it's this is what's so great when we can put the time into, you know, listening and then following up with the show notes. And I ordered his package. Awesome. Um, I, well, I had gotten a Midwest. Book review. That that is one of the kind of the creme de la creme reviews to try to get. And I paid for an advanced review. You anyone can submit cool. their book. There's no guarantee that it will get reviewed, but if you pay for an advanced review, you're guaranteed a review. Then it's up to you to decide how you want to use it. And boy, this review, I ended up using a portion of it as on my back cover. Um And as I understand it, Midwest Book Review, they send, you know, they do a blast out to libraries. And that was one of the things that the reviewer had said, where my book fits in libraries. And one thing I wanted to just bring up to you that self-published authors can do, I believe, You can get your own um, Library of Congress number. Yes. And you can pay for a cataloging. So you know about that. Um, I did this because, of course, this was another thing I asked my publisher to do. And he was just like, no, but you can. Mm, (laughs) And so, okay, I'll spend the $245. But what I love about it is now you go into libraries with your book and they, they don't have to struggle with where to put it exactly. And so that I felt like that was worth that money. I'm also the fact that my book is going to be in the library of Congress is Mm -hmm. so exciting to me, given the content. Um, But so I've started now here locally and I, I don't know that this is a very efficient way of doing it, but I've kind of walked in and I, again, having these arcs from the publisher was huge because, you know, I ended up, I gifted a few of them, but then I just started, you know, taking them and leaving them places. So I left them, I've been leaving them at libraries and I've now come to see that, um, the big, uh, county library, uh, in Minneapolis, they've ordered three copies, um, and I'm following up now. This is again where I can use my network and say, hey, request it from this library, request it from this library. And so I'm I'm starting that. And what was so interesting to find out that you're in Omaha, because I've got and and when you and Eric were talking about relevance, well, mm-hmm. you know, my dad, they grew up in Sutherland, Nebraska, right? Yeah. And so um, both my grandparents graduated from the University of Nebraska. So mm-hmm. I have that connection. So that's an easy one. Yeah. And then I got to do Fort Worth. So I've got, so, and again, it's this list of 20,000 things to do, right? I know. But hopefully with Eric's program, it'll be a little easier to just you know, yeah. plug in some of these contacts and send the, the letter with the relevance to here's mm-hmm. my book and my grandparents and this and that. And of course I'm going to be in San Diego in two weeks. And I'm I'm I've donated one of my books to the branch where I'm giving the presentation, but yes, to answer, that's the long way to get to your question. I know my next step is then to reach out again, saying, Hey, I can do something here. I can do something there. And it's just, and again, trying to decide how much I want to do, given that it's just all so time consuming and that I'm not Mm. close to anything. You know, I'm an hour from the Twin Cities. Um, But again, you just, if you can do one or two a month, I think that helps spread the word around, I think. And it's just trying to get those folks to, um, be interested and buy in and hopefully they can do some of the promoting because I, like I say I'm almost exhausted my you know how yeah. many times are my people going to keep coming to things right they've all, mm-hmm. you know I had 80 to 90 people at my book launch I just don't know that you know they're all going to say oh yeah we'll go to the right. this library reading or whatever so yeah. that's kind of again I'm right at that crossroads of deciding next steps and how I crave efficiency, just, Mm -hmm. you know, I hate like spending a lot of time and not getting anywhere. So it's, it's, I want to spend my time and get, get results.
0: What I really enjoy about that comment is that uh, we started this episode, you talking about one of your greatest strengths is curiosity. And uh, I know that you're aware of this, but curiosity is uh, the antithesis of efficiency.
1: (laughs) I know. I was just thinking that as you, I, I almost could finish your sentence as you were winding <laughs> that one up. I'm like, I know. Yeah. Because I will spend, I'll spend hours at night. And that's where I do my research where I'm just sitting there with my iPad, mm-hmm. Googling this and that and everything else. And you're right. It is such, you get that nugget out of there. And I look at the evening hours as, e- it's going to be either doing that or watching mm-hmm. some dumb show on TV,
0: right? So yeah, exactly.
1: it's, but you are, you're, you're totally right about that.
0: Yeah. I, I I mean, you and I share the, the curious bone. And so I'm, I'm always wondering like, what if I were to do this? What if I were to do that? And it's something that I'm constantly having to fight with myself because there are days where it's, it's easier to follow curiosity than it is to necessarily like buckle down and do the writing. Um, so, um, it's, yep. it's funny. I was just on a podcast with, uh, Ben Gorman. He was a, a former, uh, guest on my show. He is a, a, small press, um, not a pipe publishing up in Oregon. And, uh, his podcast is writers, not writing. So really like a lot of focus around what happens when you have writer's block or like, what are the things you do to procrastinate? And I think for the longest time, I always used to say, I never procrastinate. I'm always working. Uh, I'm always writing. I get the same number of hours in every day, yada, yada. I was so proud of my militaristic discipline. And then all of a sudden this last year <laughs> happened. And it's like, uh, this is such a perfect time to be on the show because I am, I'm slacking on the writing in the worst way. Ugh
1: well right but th- but that and that's the thing i think that we struggle with as writers because it's much more fun just to write although i have i will say i've embraced the marketing piece as long as i'm feeling like cuz it taps into a creative side like you said put your essays into a book oh yeah. i could do that sure right you know that kind of thing where you're being creative about promoting yourself and once you get yeah. over the Hump of oh God, I got to promote myself. But if you can think of fun things to do, that is it's a fun thing, but it's kind of staying in balance as far as, you know, and that was one thing that that Tim Grawl said. Um, you know, try to do one marketing thing a week. And I thought, oh, well, that's not that's not yeah, so hard, right? right? I mean, and and again, it's it's when you set these goals and you know if i if I'm doing if I send one email out to a library, boy, that's nothing, right? And uh-huh. so it's all about how we view the tasks and how we view our time that makes it you know, the results will vary, right? in how you choose your time. And I do marketing wise. I know we got off on tangents, Jody, but yes
0: we did. <laughs> um,
1: Dan blanks. I just have to throw out Dan Blanks. If you don't know Dan Blanks, um, he is phenomenal. And I subscribe to his newsletter. It comes out once a week. He does, he has done webinars with Jane Friedman. Oh, yeah. And he's got one coming, he's got one coming up that is going to be perfect for me where I'm at, where it's how to launch and build your. Newsletter list on Substack because he, oh, amazing. I want to say it was maybe three months ago. He moved his, his, and I don't remember what service he was using before that. And I'd have to just look at the footer to see, but it was seamless because I just got his next newsletter and it, he was over on Substack. Yeah. And he, um, what he's wonderful about is he is always pushing the you know connect with your readers connect with mm-hmm. your readers find your readers and and again i think the the key is putting out free stuff for people that's helpful mm-hmm. and then you got them hooked so then when you offer something else that costs some money they're like yep i'm in and he this latest thing that he did is it's a three tier uh, three tier offering. So for 49 bucks, it's the webinar. And then you get the recording and you can ask questions and whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I think the, then it jumps to like $249 where you can get a 30 minute consultation with him. You know, it, it just, and then the last one is, I don't know, it's like maybe $600, Mm -hmm. but you get, Again, you get the attention and the personalization yeah. of, of things. And again, for people who have that kind of money, that stuff's invaluable. Just to be able to have a face-to-face with somebody who does this for a living in terms of marketing and promoting writers. Yeah. Um, and he and I had talked early on because I, I wanted to hire him. And he's like, well, here's how much I cost. And again, it's that, you know, the three-month minimum at 3000 a month and it's like oh god okay well that'll be for somebody else yeah
0: <laughs> you right. know
1: and so i think the key for those of us that are not independently you know from families like your in-laws we yeah. have to we have to hone in on those things that we can get for free and then take the knowledge that we've gotten for free to put the work in ourselves does that make yeah. sense
0: yeah, I, I I agree with you hundred percent. And I think that there's there's short ways to get places and fast ways to get places, uh, and long, yes. long, fast, short, slow, uh, all, all of the nuances in between. I spent so much time listening to podcasts without ever paying for any of the stuff. So uh self publishing formula with with Mark Dawson, uh self publishing school with Chandler Bolt um, uh, Joanna Penn, she's amazing. Um, and so many yes. different, different yep. newsletters that I re- read as well to get as much free yep. stuff as you can. And what I will say about it is that when you start to run out of juice to squeeze is when you don't have the community. So again, this is going back to the early piece of our conversation is Any program sort of loses some of its value when you don't have access to the uh, really, well, I'm going to be careful about the word success. We talked about that earlier too, but the people who have had success doing these things, if you can't ask them questions directly and get their attention, then you start to not right. know how to implement things. Um, and and so I think that's the hard part, exactly. but you can learn it. I mean, everybody started somewhere and everybody did learn it. So determining your timeline probably matters as much as anything else.
1: Exactly.
0: Yes. 100%. So Debbie, where can listeners find your book? Where do you want them to buy your book after they're done listening and they're excited to dive in? Uh, and how can they connect with your newsletter?
1: This, you know, and this is the funny part, right? Do I direct them to Amazon? Do I direct <laughs> them to their book? You know, yep. so all I would say is my website is www.debbie, D E B B I E hyphen Russell, R U S S E L L dot com. And what I've tried to do there is you know you choose how you want to buy your book because yeah. i've got you know it's on bookshop it's through barnes and noble it's everywhere and so i think readers ought to be able to choose you know how yeah. they want to buy their book and where they want to support with their with their money and um my blog is there as well um and i am on substack debbie russell i think it's debbie isn't this bad? I don't even know yeah. what it is. See, that's where I need to just get it all together. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm Debbie stories. I'm Debbie stories. I think if you're on Substack and you just put in Debbie stories, you can find me that way perfect. or Debbie Russell.
0: Yeah. And I'll make sure to, I'll link to everything in the show things. notes too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, perfect. That's lovely. That's lovely.
0: Excellent. Uh what was there? There was actually one more thing I was realizing that I wanted to touch on but now it's gone. So, um I'll have to shoot you an email afterwards if it comes back to me. But it's been phenomenal having you on the show. It's a, a long time coming. I think I reached out to you a, a while back and so I'm glad that we finally did connect. It's been every bit as as rewarding of a conversation as I hoped that it would be and and so thank you again uh for everything that you've personally offered to me in my life even if you didn't know you were doing it and uh for everything you just gave to all the listeners because they're going to learn a ton from, from hearing your journey.
1: Oh, and I have to thank you too, Jody, because I mean, you have, uh, it is, this has been one of those just remarkable friendships that, um, I, I'm. I'm grateful to know that you've benefited as much as I have, because I felt like I was on the benefiting side for most of this. And, I, you know, I wanted to wait to get on your podcast till I actually had something to say about marketing. And, yeah. um, you know, I... I do want to pay it forward as well. So it's like, if people have questions and, you know, I've got a contact form on my website and I I do want people to learn from the things that I've done and make their decisions the way that works for them, because I think we all have our own individual paths and what works for me might not work for someone else, but But again, like you say, the way we share our information and support each other, um, this has been an amazing journey for me that's only just beginning. And so um, I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful to you and everybody else who's been so nice to me. So um, thank you.
0: Thank you.